Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Weirdly, we were having this conversation last night uh, amongst some family and friends, and I think what it shows that if New Zealand is prepared to host a world event, a proper world event, for men or women, it's going to be a success. We are, we are fundamentally starved down here of really top-class uh, sport of that sort of nature. And I think we were lucky enough to get the FIFA Women's World Cup now. I would imagine in even four years, the ability of New Zealand and Australia to host this event is going to be uh, troubling. So we, we were it was sort of like the moment all aligned and people realised we were starting to see an evolution of women's sport, especially in the football space, happening now. The growth of women's football around the world is unbelievable. The money that's starting to be generated because the clubs are in there, the coaching that's going in there, the development of the players that are going in there is a, is a phenomenal situation. And we just happened to have the Women's World Cup at that moment. And the New Zealand public did embrace it. But as my sister said last night, she said, She's a woman. She wants to support women. And this was a massive event she'd get behind. They went there. And then the moment they went to the first game, they suddenly realised the football was what they were there to watch. And I think that became a real change for people's thinking. And once they realised this is world-class women's football, it really took off. Yeah, and, and Chris, as far as what we... Uh, I'll, I'll put my hand up. I expected... Uh, I was among the many that thought, well, I saw the way New Zealand um, warmed up for this, uh, the results leading in. Mm-hmm. I, I, my expectations were set very low for what this team would produce. But the success of this tournament in New Zealand uh, is... is I think it could have gone well, as you're saying. We will support kind of any kind of major tournament in this country as it stands. Uh, but that result against Norway change the complex the whole complexion of, of the tournament on this side of the ditch yes it really did because i think up to that stage we we were kind of like we're hosting it we're not really in it um and then all of a sudden they won that game um and i think they won the game because it was a massive crowd the girls or the women players were finally able to go wow we're playing in front of all these people people care there was a lot of work for the football firms leading into that game, into the community sense. They went and got engaged. And I think a lot of that provides the added impetus for the players. And then we were very fortunate we struck a game and a team in Norway who, for whatever reason, didn't seem to really want to go at New Zealand. It was a really weird Norwegian performance, but it played perfectly into the fact that we could play under the pressure and get comfortable and then 
went go on to win the game. And, and then, of course, there were some fortuitous moments in which um, New Zealand didn't hang on, but they were able to retain the lead and go forward and win the game. But that, that game itself really did make a big difference to how the public perceived the football fern. Because previous um, iterations of football ferns at Olympic Games and World Cup, they don't win games, they don't score goals, they really struggle in all these matches. And like you alluded to before, most of us thought we were just going to watch the same-o, same-o. They were going to turn up, uh, fight valiantly for three games and get nothing out of any of these games. And to see the change of what we saw, especially in the, in the New Zealand context, uh, at Eden Park, really did define that people believe we have got a team here that we can get behind and be proud of, which I also think helped with the massive momentum of the crowd support. Sports fans know of the football ferns. Football fans, of course, know of the, of the football ferns. But what Hannah Wilkinson provided, in my opinion at least, Chris, is the first iconic moment for the football ferns and women's football in this country. An iconic moment that anyone in the country can have, have be referred to and they will remember that moment. And that, and that's something that every sport needs is that, that kernel to grow and that inspiration. I'm, lit, I'm not a football aficionado. I'm not a diehard bony stretch, Chris, but just talking about it and the, and the hairs on my arm are going up thinking of that moment for Hannah Wilkinson. That sport needed that so badly. So badly. They just needed that moment, which is a a moment in time in which you can hang your head on. For some of my generation, it was Winton Rufa getting the second goal against China in the 82 playoff. There are moments within anything. Grant Turner's header, the 82 World Cup is what I got in my head. The 2010 All Whites, when you're thinking about you know Mark Passer making the save, there are moments that define what goes on. And that Hannah Wilkinson goal really did give us that moment. She, she burst away. She's a very fit, strong um, athlete. And it all just impacted. But the biggest impact for me, and I'm a more a football aficionado, is the way they set that goal up. But the one that got me was Jackie yeah. Hahn got away from her player. Like, she went, and I thought, wow. You know, this is she's showing that she's as athletic and as quick and as strong as anything on the planet because it's always been traditionally a massive powerhouse. And the cross she put on, put in was absolute quality. It wasn't close to the keeper. It wasn't close to the recovering defenders. It was in the perfect spot. So an execution of technique like that, Hannah Wilkinson sweeps it in, and we all go, wow. So there are moments within that, no matter whether you're a football fan or a sport fan, you can go, Wow, that's impressive. Because I think for most of us, well, most of the non-players, as you go, oh, yeah, I could probably do that when it comes to women's sport. Well, I'm telling you, there isn't many people on the planet, men or women, that do what uh, Jackie Hahn did, which is get around someone and then have the technical and tactical ability to get a ball across the box like that that can only be swept in. If she'd have missed that, that would have been the miss of all time because it was on a plate. It wasn't bouncing. It was just there and... Hannah Wilkinson's got the technical ability in that instance to just put it away. And I think to myself, that then defines a moment that allows you to look at it and go, that's something that most of us can't do, that's quality. And I think that moment, after the ability of coping with the game to take a 1-0 lead, is just, it was a, it was a fire ignition, really. When you look back at that campaign, it's really easy to say missed opportunity, right? Uh, the the loss to the Philippines, the draw with Switzerland, yep. easy to say, oh, they could have got out of group stage. But going into that event, if, you, if I told you that they would score as many goals as they conceded, 
uh, that they would only have one loss out of the group stage, that too probably would have been considered a win at that point. Do you see this as a missed opportunity? As obviously going to the group stages could have changed things quite mm-hmm. substantially, but did this team overachieve? Well, considering leading into the World Cup, uh, I think most of us would have been pretty happy if they'd have got a draw. Let's let's be brutally honest here. And but the fact is that when they got the win, you're thinking, and then the Philippines are on the window, and you're thinking, well, we should beat the Philippines. And I think that that hubris moment of we should beat the Philippines is what made them come unstuck. And then they went to the third game, and it became a draw. But if you'd have said to anybody the football firms will get four points out of their three games in the pool, most people would have gone, not going to happen. Just not going to happen, you know. When you're looking at Norway sitting there and Switzerland sitting there going, yeah, we aren't beating either of them. We're not getting close to either of them. Yet they're the two teams that we got points out of. So you'd have to say that if you're looking at that, we did what we needed to do against two really highly ranked teams, yet to lose against a lower ranked team is probably epitomises where the football teams and internationally from New Zealand tend to be. If we take it to not easy, but if we take it to not with the same intensity or belief, then we can be undone. Because international football is fundamentally really difficult to win games. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Chris Miller, I, I want to get your thoughts on, on have the Ferns done enough? Now, getting internationals to this country, we know that stuff, right? So I, I don't want to judge New Zealand football on whether they should have had more games held in New Zealand or anything like that since the, the World Cup. That's, that's, uh, football's an entirely different beast uh, in that mode. But uh, they've gone on and played four matches since uh, being knocked out of the World Cup. They haven't won uh, one of them. I think it's three losses in a, in a draw, if I'm right. And some of those even behind closed doors uh, at Colombia. It's, it's, the whole country was really support the Ferns, and it's so hard to strike while the iron's hot. But uh, this, what do you make of, of how the Ferns have gone post this World Cup campaign? Look, I think that there were a raft of players that kind of said the FIFA Women's World Cup in New Zealand was going to be their swan song, as it was. And during that period, the previous cycle, four years leading into this, there was very little replacement of players. So a lot of players who finally got to the FIFA Women's World Cup, the team that actually got on the park with the Jackie Hans, the Marius Steinmetz and those players, they weren't in anyone's reckoning prior to the World Cup. We just assumed we were going to watch the same-o, same-o things we've always seen with players that are probably legs have gone, can't get up to pace. And then they, um, the coaching staff made the commitment to uh, bring some of these younger ones in. And now I think from the World Cup, they had two choices. They either could have gone almost on a goodwill, let's build something here. But they've elected to bring in a lot of the younger players, like the young Phoenix players, etc., so that they can move forward into a different sort of level of playing ability. It has to happen, uh, but it really would have been better if we hadn't have lost all these games because momentum in any sport and any team can drop away quite quickly if you're not careful. Uh, and Chris, I think so that we, it. Yeah. Yeah, go sorry, Chris. I just kind of think that there was there was an opportunity. I, I, I watch a lot of sport that have an opportunity because of success to really drive and submit that success into the culture of the country. And most of them then take their foot off and they get a bit pragmatic and they go, oh, we'll build for the next one. And I think sometimes from a long term, it's the right thing. 
from a short term to grow supporter and all the rest, it's, it was the right thing. And I think that we really, I mean, imagine if they'd played another four games, they'd won three, they'd drawn one, or they'd won two and drawn one and lost one. People would go, wow, this is an international team. And the thing is, you know, as you alluded before, it's really hard for games. But if you're a team that permanently wins on the international stage, people then give you games. Um, games become much easier. You can't tell me Brazil and England, that they don't struggle to get games because people go, we want to play, we want to test ourselves. So you really got to make sure you're never the second team. You always want to be a team that people go, well, we'll go to New Zealand to play them. We want Japan coming here to play us. We want Australia coming here to play us. We want teams coming to play us. The only way they'll do that is if they think, well, they'll really push us and we're likely to lose. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the content the, the the place where the ferns are. I, I see I see growth. I see room for it, and uh, hopefully enough is done to uh, start to get them moving that upwards trajectory. Now I want to talk about the All Whites as well, Chris. They played. Yep. Well, they sorry, I should say they were scheduled for eight games and played seven in the end after the uh, the controversy around uh, the Qatar tie. But eight games in a year um, is not a bad outlet, uh, not a bad output either. So it's been an up and down as far as where the uh, the All Whites stand and the coaching situation. Uh, but it, it's it's a fair amount of games they've got to get through. Yeah, and it's minimum. It's the minimum that should be in, in place. You know, you've got to get about eight games a year. I mean, there are windows in which the players are released. It's all there. Um, and it just comes a commitment from the national body to fund it, find the games, and then let it happen. And the players will commit or not commit um, to it. That's You can't do anything about that. But the reality is you've got to put games on and you've got to take the players because, like any team, if you think about if you were building a team for a season, you've got to have at least six pre-season games before you kick the ball in anger. In international football, it's really no same. You've got to have six to eight games on a regular basis. So they've got a number of games under their belt before they have to go win one in anger. And if you ignore the basic principles of how teams win, um, then we do what we've done before. We'll we'll blitz through Oceania, and then um, once we blitz through Oceania, we then head to uh, a meaningful game, and we get rolled because we're not used to playing at that level. So eight games, in my opinion, is minimum for what the All-Whites should be doing. And what did you make of, of what we end up seeing from the All Whites? Where are they in your mind or where they should be uh, come the end of 2023? I think they're... I think the last 45 minutes we saw against their last game is where they want to be. They sort of took off the shackles, they decided to have a go, and it was a much better performance. I think that when previous white areas and it's and I totally understand why people do it. So if you sit back and you try to block holes and you try to, you know, keep the score down, you will lose. To win games, the all whites are gonna to have to risk everything. I mean we've got a Premier League striker. I know he's getting um older and you know and he's not getting used so much in the Premier League, but he's still a Premier League striker. And yet we've got to have a game model that permanently gives him chances in every single game. Because he will score. And so to my mind the evolution of the team since Darren took over to where they are now seems to be on a good track. Sure, some of the football can be irritating, it can be slow, it can you're wondering why they're doing what they're doing. But uh, overall, you can see a definite improvement across what they're trying to do. As the players, there's two things going on here. A lot of the young players are now playing and starting in teams in Europe. So they're getting game time at a higher level week in and week out. So they're improving. 
the connection between your whites across the board and the way they want to play is improving. It's just that they need games. They'll need another eight games next year before they go into any meaningful game uh, to keep improving the connectivity in the group, and then they'll move forward into a, a better uh, place. Uh, and results really can't be taken into consideration as because they're friendly games. You know, you just you've got to work on what's going to give you the money when you hit the big games towards the end. And I can see they're on an upward trajectory, but I also can see there's moments which fans and supporters can go, "What is going on?" Because some of the games and seem to have lacked intensity, seem to have lacked uh, a willingness to go and try and score and try and win the game. But we don't know what the instructions for the group is and what the coaches are trying to achieve in the game and what their goals are. And one thing I'd like to see from the All-Whites is after a game, the coaching staff sat down and go, these were what we set out to achieve in this game as a group. These are the four things we decided to try and work on. We achieved two of them. We, we're struggling here. We do this. And let's get a more honest brief back to the public. Because I think fundamentally, it's and you know, you listen to any sport in this country with the fans, their knowledge is fairly high in some areas and very lacking in others. The coaching staff of the All-Whites and the football firms could both be taking the opportunity to explain to the football public what we're trying to achieve and where we're going and how we're going. So people feel like they're part of a trajectory that's moving forward to results on the international stage. Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. And, and that forward thinking, that forward planning is what every sport strives for, right? And there is no more international sport than football. Uh, and it is uh, easy to get left behind in the dust if you don't make yourself uh, make some noise and get involved. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Chris, as, as far as what uh, has happened domestically, I really want to get to this as well. I have been wowed by the Phoenix this year. Not just the results, men's and women's. Not just the results, but the style of play. The Phoenix have ever been a side that you would associate with uh, a, a, an ability to win games in different scenarios. But the last game we saw against McIver... Uh, for MacArthur, sorry, for the uh, the um, the men's side. Just another underlining that this team doesn't just have a couple of tools in the tool belt. They can perform in different in different atmospheres. The women's team have been uh, aggressive, played some wonderful football as well. It seems like a fire's been lit under the Phoenix this year, and it's changing a real the direction in which they play their footy. Easier to draw in uh, the casual fans rather than just the uh, the diehard Yellow Fever. I think from the, the Phoenix perspective, that we'll separate the men and the women as part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. But from a men's side, uh, new coach, experienced coach, and he's probably come in and gone, look, if I fail here, I'm going to go down guns blazing. I'm going to do what I want to do. The players, and then for whatever reason, they've decided they're going to give all the youth a chance. Now, the youth teams at the Phoenix, like a lot of youth teams across New Zealand, they play a particular style of football, right? And everyone's trying to keep the ball. Everyone's moving the ball. They're, they're, they're getting braver. They're getting more committed. They're, they're seeing the opportunities, and they, they're looking to how they're going to punish it. And if you couple that with what they've done at the Phoenix, you've now got you know the, the Alex Rufi, you've got Tim Payne, you've got enough experience in there across the core to go forward and play. And then they also played the young players. And, of course, the beauty of young players, they don't know what they don't know, and they play without fear. And so they're prepared to, to play football and keep it, and they're confident. And I think they're also aligned with what happened last year in the A-League, in which the fact that I think the numbers might be as many as 20 players out of the A-League starters, all 
headed off to Europe, you know, with contracts, etc. So they're in a bit of a flux year, the A-League, and the fact that most of the team, Central Coast Mariners, for example, lost most of their team offshore because they were so successful last year. And there's now a... The league's not the same punishing league as it maybe was before, which is a great moment for the Phoenix to really step forward and keep going. Um, but the biggest change I see in the Phoenix men in particular, they seem happy and they seem really tight together. Now, from a coaching perspective, that's nothing that works on the grass. That's a lot of stuff that's worked behind the scenes. Uh, it shows me that someone like their, their coach, Giancarlo, He's clearly done a lot of work in that space, which is about culture building. Very similar to Webster at the Warriors, a lot of thing on culture building, uh, transfer accountability and ownership to the players, let them take it on board, build it from inside. Like any really competent corporate or sport organisation, the players have to lead certain actions. And it strikes me that under Ufuk Talay, who did quite well in the previous coaches, it was very, very coach-led. And once it was very coach-led, you could see almost frustration in the players at times when they wanted to attack, especially when suddenly the Phoenix went into a 5-4-1, just defend the goal, and everyone's going, wow. And then they eventually draw or whatever. To win leagues, you think about the points you get at the first game and the points you get at the last game are exactly the same. You get three points, you get one point, you get no points. So the more you risk through the years or through the season the more points you gain and the more momentum you gain and the more happiness and culture development you get at the end. And I think what we're seeing here is probably a lot more thought process around the culture, uh, around the togetherness of the men's team that's now translating into the field in which players obviously aren't going to get yelled at. My, my understanding of Talay was quite forceful in his feedback to players and a lot of them went into almost a shell to protect themselves. It doesn't strike me that that's there anymore. And the players have definitely been given the capability to express what they want to play. And that's why we're seeing goals like we see on the weekend. Uh, they just play from the back. They're not, they're not a fear. They make mistakes. And they just go for it. You know? and, when you, and, and it's epitomized by Alex Paulson, right? Alex is a young goalkeeper. Played, he's played six or seven games for the Phoenix now. If he was getting yelled at, commentated, you know, and the older players were getting on his back, he wouldn't be playing with such freedom from the back and making the saves that, that he's been doing. So that, to me, epitomises what they're trying to achieve here. So that's been really, really impressive to watch. Uh, and just uh, very quickly on the uh, the women's side, um, impressive, isn't it, the way that they've, they've followed that through with the, the Phoenix women? I've, I've, I think they've been a joy to watch. They have been a joy to watch, but I think the fundamental change was they decided to go and get experienced players into the lineup. So they went somehow, they, they freed up some cash and money, and they've now got you know players coming in that have played in America and played in other um, places to come in and give the, the younger Kiwi players uh, a benchmark to train with and be part of. And look, they're going for it. They're going to make mistakes, but they're going to be more than competitive this year. Um, we could see a situation, I would imagine, the way that they're running, that they could easily make the playoffs. Um, and that would be an enormous change around from where they were for their first two years in which they really struggled to score goals and to win games. Uh, but they also, you know, I mean, when some reports came out the other week, you don't know what's going on in the background. But they certainly are playing with an ability to penetrate through the back lines. And they're, once again, 
a willingness to have a go at opposition that actually allows them to really get opportunities in games to then push on and win. So, look, I think they've been far more impressive than the men, even though the men have been extremely impressive, to go from where they were, which is pretty much the worst, to nearly one of the best teams in the competition is a, is a massive change round. Exciting stuff indeed. Uh, hugely grateful for your time, Chris Miller. It's such a great and safe Christmas. We look forward uh, to speaking to you again in 2024 here on SNZ. Anytime. Love doing it. Thank you.